A what wolf? A, a, a which wolf? A why wolf? A how wolf? A, a werewolf. Oh, I get the bit now. <laughs> ha ha ha. <laughs> and welcome back to another episode of Who is My Doctor? Who is my doctor? Who is indeed? I am your host, Zach, and I know a lot about Doctor Who. And I'm also your host, Cassie, and I don't know a lot about Doctor Who. And today we are watching Series 2, Episode 2, Tooth and Claw. Two, two, two. Two, two, tooth. Too many toofs. Too many toofs. Too many toofs. Too <laughs> many toofs. And this is another episode where... I'm not a. I mean, I, I I like it more than I like the last episode for sure. But I'm all, I'm still not a big fan of it. It it's one of the it's the concept behind it is not exactly my thing. But in the same vein, this is also an episode that while I don't enjoy, while while it's not one of my favorites, I do have a strong feeling that you're probably going to enjoy it. Uh, just because will I? I mean, we'll find out. That's just how I'm feeling about it right now. From from when I rewatched it, I was like, I think I think Cassie might enjoy this. But you said last time that we went back to Victorian we era go, England. We do go back to Queen Victorian Woo-hoo. era. We, we, we go back to the Victorian area, not necessarily England. We go back to the Cassie Roman Empire Victorian times. Woo! Uh, but it is definitively Victorian times because this episode does feature Queen Victoria in it. Fun. But uh, also, uh-oh. <laughs> and... That might be where we start with the Cassie Perfassi today. <gasps> so, Queen Victoria is in it, and Rose keeps trying to get Queen Victoria to say something. Would you like to guess what the something is she's trying to get Queen Victoria to say? Uh, just, just to... I, 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 this isn't necessarily meant to, like, help you in a... In, in a way, but let me just rephrase it another way. I was doing so good, Zach. You're gonna make me lose again. If you were to meet Queen Victoria, what would what might you try to make her say? <laughs> God save the me. <laughs> Is that your prediction? God save the me. No, because me, me, Cassie, different from Rose. Okay. But I genuinely cannot think of anything else because then I'm also trying to think like what was topical in 2006? <laughs> was there something that was like something that everybody was saying? But also, this is not America. This is the UK. So I have nothing. Okay. So let, let me... unless it's Harry Potter, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> in which case... Harry Potter, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? LOL, that's so funny. <laughs> Why did you make the Queen sound like Julia Child? <laughs> I'm the Queen of England. You know what? I'm going to stick with Rose just tries to get the Queen to say God save the Queen. Okay. All right. So uh, God save the Queen is her prediction there. The other um, sort of detail that I don't feel like this or is... Or Rose was right, but I also don't think... Okay. If it's something... I'm trying to read your body <laughs> language. 
You can't see on the podcast, but I'm wiggling around, making my body language indecipherable. I have dyslexia. This is very hard for me. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like this would be a spoiler for the episode, but they have these previews before. So if you had just been watching it, you would know this. So I don't mind saying it. This episode predominantly features what we would call a universal monster. Oh, oh. Would you like to take a crack at which monster it might be? Dracula. You think it's Dracula? Yeah. Okay. So Dracula meets Queen Victoria in this episode. Dracula. <laughs> Blair. Blair. Hello, Queen Victoria. I am here to omnom your neck-neck. Ew, what the fuck? No. <laughs> New choice. That was awful. <laughs> Hello, Queen Victoria. I am here to serve you cheese. Hello, Queen Victoria. As you know, as some people might say, God save the you. <laughs> well, we will find out. If you believe in God, which I don't because I'm vampire. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will find out if these two guesses of Cassie's are correct today as we watch Series 2, Episode 2, Tooth and Claw. Wait, no, werewolf, werewolf, I take it back. <laughs> All right, we've pivoted back as soon as she heard me no, say tooth and claw. But tooth, but tooth could mean Dracula. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm upset now because werewolf of London. So that makes perfect sense. You gotta and make you a choice. Said over and over again. Well, we're not necessarily in London, which leads me to believe that we're probably in London. Uh, Gotta make a pick. Because uh, I know I'm already wrong about the first one. Oh, and you said Universal Monster, and Dracula is only on my mind because I just watched a bunch of Astarian videos <laughs> before recording. <laughs> uh, werewolf. Were I'm, okay. I'm pivoting back to Werewolf. Pivoted to Werewolf now. Um, now she's registered the name Tooth and Claw and really wrestled with which one is which. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because of Claw. It's only because of Claws and Werewolf of London. Alrighty, so... Oh, with, werewolf. So with that, uh, we will find out if it is a werewolf and if it is God Save the Queen as we watch Series 2, Episode 2, Tooth and Claw. my doctor is brought to you by a loose bag of whistles hey there friends are you looking to add a little spice to your life well with a loose bag of whistles you'll have a little magic to add to life's little moments <coughs> the way it works is you get sent a loose bag of whistles in the mail and then you can make sounds like this <coughs> and we got this one oh and this one looks kind of neat Whoa, that one did not look like that sound was going to come out of that. <laughs> uh, loose bag of whistles, brought to you by the makers of Tin Can Full of Teeth. And we are back Ow! from Tooth and Claw. Ow! Werewolves of London, werewolves of Scotland. I'm so glad I changed my answer. 
I, I had wondered if you were going to pick up on the title of that, but then as soon as I said it, I watched your face in the first part. Just the horror as you went, oh, Tooth and Claw, that mean, that don't mean Dracula. Yep, that is a good me impression. That is exactly what I sounded like. So, I will admit I have a general problem with making the werewolf thing so literal down to, like, the person literally changing with the full moon and trying to turn that into an alien. I do and I don't. Yeah, that's that's my... I, I do wish that it was something that resembled a werewolf, but, like, you know, didn't have fur or was a different color. Like, the something about it looking... Just straight so, up werewolf. Yeah, so traditionally a werewolf. Yeah. Like, that's that's my only real hang-up with it. I enjoy, I enjoy most of the episode for that. I, it really is just that cork and seed I had an issue with. But uh, what about you? What did you think of the uh, of Tooth and Claw? I thought about it. Here's the thing. I was very excited about us going back up into Victorian times. Awesome. I don't understand why it begins the way it does. <laughs> you you have a problem with a monk attack? Uh, I wrote down the term fists a fucking blazing. <laughs> yeah, just uh, not two minutes into the beginning of the episode. Yeah, just about a dozen or so. Um, Avatar what, motherfuckers. Yeah, monks show up and then they reveal they're not just like monks in the religious sense. They're monks in the D&D sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all bald and athletic and carry around quarter staffs and do, you know, sick tricks. Well, you've been gone for a while. I can see why. <laughs> a joke that flew right over tired Cassie's brain. Yeah, just at one point, they had, the master of the house had joked like, you didn't see anything wrong with my staff because the the monks had replaced his uh, his house staff, <laughs> and, and the doctor just goes, "Well, they're bald and athletic, and your wife's away. I thought you were just having a good time. I thought I thought you were happy." Yeah, I just, I think that's a good bit. Um, I do like that the doctor has the musical sensibilities of a cool dad. <laughs> yeah, they originally... Because I really, really appreciate him saying, yeah, we're going to go to this particular concert in 1979. And, you know, they end up in 1879 and he goes, ah. Same difference. <laughs> but they wound up in Scotland, so David Tennant gets to use his actual accent as opposed to Dick <laughs> Van Dyking it all up the, pla- all he the place. He gets to talk normal. <laughs> Hooray! Another endearing quality. <laughs> I'm dazed and confused. I've been chasing this, this wee naked child over hill and over dale. All I can think about, though, is... A while ago, we did a different podcast where David Tennant did the voice of a Highland cow. Oh. It was in Ferdinand. (laughs) You're referring to uh, the Escape from Vault Disney episode on Ferdinand. Yes. I had no context then. I just knew David Tennant equals Highland cow. (laughs) And then in this episode, I went, oh, yeah. (laughs) 
the doctor lands uh, in the 1870s Scotland and introduces himself to the Queen's Guard as Dr. James McCremen. Uh, I don't know if you remember me saying this. We had once talked about uh, uh, one of the doctor's past companions and his name. And he was a Scottish man by the name of Jamie McCremen. Okay. Uh, so he is... Uh, Stealing the identity of his fo- of his former partner. That's kind of sweet. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a cute little detail. Uh, that's also <laughs> that could be the only Scottish name the Doctor knows. <laughs> uh, was uh, an actual Highlander that he that he pulled the name off of, and they meet Queen Victoria in her carriage. Uh, and uh, for some reason, the psychic paper has instructed Queen Victoria that the Doctor and Rose are meant to protect her. Uh, Don't the, you think she would have been informed about that? Yeah, probably would have thought something. Now, the psychic paper is meant to show you what you want to see. Okay. So there is a part of me that wonders if she had, like, secretly hoped that someone would, that there would be some other form of protection there for her. Fair enough that As, she would have some kind of extra backup. However, you are incorrect. Rose was not trying to get her to say, uh, God save the me. She was trying to get her to say, we are not amused. To be fair, I forgot that that phrase was connected to Queen Victoria. <laughs> so. That's fair. I, I thought that was a Queen Elizabeth thing. I also just was not Oopsie sure what doodle. I could give you as a second question for this. So I will I will admit I well, wasn't. Just because to- it was a fun game and it, and it does reconfirm that like. The Doctor and Rose do not... They do take the situations that they're in serious. They do... They, they're problem solvers. Mm-hmm. But they also... They enjoy having little bits and inside jokes and things to do with one another while they're adventuring. And I think that's kind of cute. Yeah, it is kind of sweet. Um, but they make their but they make their way to the house they'll be staying at for the evening. Uh, I'm confused about the house. So that was Queen Victoria's husband's estate. So it was basically it was her husband's friend's property. Um, her husband's her husband Prince Albert had a basically a best friend, and they would commiserate about their fascination with the occult. I guess for lack of a better word. Because it wasn't so much the occult as much as it was specifically the werewolf thing, which uh, we probably should, I should probably say you were correct about the werewolf, so you do get the point for that. You are still at 50%. I'll take it. (laughs) If, hey, I'm nothing but consistent. In the context of the show, I do like the werewolf being an alien. That makes sense to me. That any cryptid that we have that we look at as either this is a prehistoric thing that has survived for centuries. I like that in the show it doesn't treat cryptids as, or so far it doesn't treat cryptids as like, oh, this is something that's just survived on its own on its own grit it's oh no this is from a different world (laughs) it does feel also like a funny little echo from the previous season where we said that I was telling you that episode one of the series is meant to be an an echo of episode two of series one and now this one is sort of an echo of of episode three where that was about ghosts and this one is about werewolves 
Yeah, but you know, ghost adjacent. Yeah, and I will I will also let you know ahead of time. Eventually, we do get to vampires. Uh, and it, <laughs> actually, that should have been. Uh, that's not really a spoiler because when we get there, vampires is in the name of the episode. Uh, and then also there is an episode about a mummy. So we've got a full selection. <laughs> we've got a full selection of universal monsters here. Um, I do like uh, the callback to both Bad Wolf and Torchwood. Yes, uh, they they established that this is the Torchwood house. That's what they call it. And also that uh, the person that turns into the werewolf somehow can see Bad Wolf in in Rose, which is an interesting sort of supernatural element to it that never really gets explained. I do appreciate that they lean into there still being elements of this that are just unexplained. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't try to explain all of it away. I also really appreciate, completely unrelated to anything that we were just talking about, the Queen calls Rose a timorous beastie <laughs> I think and that, a feral child I believe the timorous beastie was first said by David Tennant uh, when they when he first starts using his his uh, his Scottish accent I believe he says I've been when he starts speaking normal yeah I've been chasing this timorous beastie or, or he'll know or dare I think that uh, I believe that's what he says and she just takes it from him it is still very funny to hear Queen Victoria say it though and they keep referring to her as naked, which is mostly funny because she's wearing overalls. She's wearing overalls, tights, knee-high boots, and a t-shirt. Yeah, just, just like, the only thing of her that's really exposed are her, like... Arms. Are her arms. And not even all of it, because it's a short sleeve shirt. It's Her upper arms are still covered. It's just, like, elbow down. And it's a crew neck, too, so her, like chest is fully covered as yeah. well it's it is it's just very funny that because she's not dressed in full like appropriate attire for the era <laughs> the deeply religious queen victoria frowns upon her heavily yeah i just i really like her being uh um, naked but i don't know if you noticed it it was a little thing i caught on to when she is going through the wife of the house's Wardrobe, since everybody's is basically telling her to get changed, mm-hmm. wear something more appropriate. As she's pulling out the gowns, the one that she ultimately settles on is a like emerald blue with white lace details. And I don't know if you're familiar with the color story or with color story, but I don't think I am. Or no, not color story necessarily. That's the wrong term to use. Oh, um, but it's that's colors. the TARDIS colors. Oh yeah, that that was that was that is cute. I hadn't put that together, but that's I, fun. Yeah, and I only really picked up on that because of the number of cosplays I've seen of people dressing up as the TARDIS and using that same, you know, blue base dress with white lace trims or you know, white buttons or details or what have you. So yeah. I thought that was cute. Because <laughs> as soon as she put the dress back down on the bed, I went, oh, she's not actually going to put it on. <laughs> that dress is just for our our amusement. Yeah, I mean, it's a cute idea, especially when, you know, the doctor's consistent love through his life is the TARDIS. So it's kind of funny that Rose is trying to almost like 
shoehorn herself into it. But after she picks out her dress, she finds one of the like ladies in waiting. Yes, who starts the house servants. Who starts telling them about how they they've all been kidnapped. It seems she's been hiding in this wardrobe for who knows how long. We're gonna. I'm gonna fast forward just a hair to Rose and the servant both getting like abducted, abducted and taken to the cellar where that is where the werewolf is werewolf man in a cage i appreciate how smart rose is because in that moment as she's as everybody else is like don't talk to him like don't engage look away that's when she's like nah there's something here there there's something not quite right here she starts asking questions she Mm -hmm. starts (laughs) she starts being the proper PC that she is <laughs> and interrogating and asking the the wolfman questions you know or she I think her, the first thing she asks right out of the gate is you're not from here you ain't from around here are you but I, I appreciated that because it's like never in that time is Rose scratching her head trying to be like oh I, I don't know what you are she immediately can pick up on that this is not a that he's not of this world well especially you know i was talking about the fact that she's dealt with the gelf before i'm sure it was a part of her that was just instinctively like i don't know how but you're an alien yeah like Which there's I, no other answer to these questions for me unlike the writer's proclivities towards um having rose and mickey start their relationship all over again every time that he is in an episode. The one thing I do like is that we never have to see, or we haven't seen Rose have to start over in her, like, naivety towards, or naivete towards doctor business. At this point, she's like, all right, I know, expect the unexpected. Hi, I'm doctor business. (laughs) Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, I agree. It is nice that, especially because she spends her first couple of episodes having like existential panics, like she, and even to a certain extent, a sort of a damsel in distress, a, like a handful of times. Well, that's usually the case because she ends up getting abducted or like transported away, knocked out. Regardless, but I, I mean, any even... time that she gets separated from the doctor, she needs some kind of rescue. But she does not wait for the doctor to come and rescue her. She tries yeah. her very best to figure out how to get herself out of the situation. Yeah, she has she in. has agency in her in her characterization. Yes. And while they're uh, while they're having this scene with the boy that will become Wolf, uh, the master of the house is telling. Queen Victoria and the Doctor, the sto- the legend of the wolf. And it seems that Queen Victoria is a little excited about these sort of ghost stories. Come, begin your tale, Sir Robert. There's a chill in the air. The wind is howling through the eaves. Tell us of monsters. I, I gotta say, I really like her portrayal of Queen Victoria. I thought that was, it was really fun, but also a really strong character. She f- she felt like a lady of the time. There was not a lot of or 
there was not a lot of posh and panache around her. Uh-huh. Yes, there were the, you know, people have to respect her and refer to her as her majesty. And, you know, like, forgive me, but you're going to have to crawl out a window. Like, yeah. And it was also like she's very she's the defender of the faith, as they call her, because, you know, when you're when you're the monarch, you're the head of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. And so Queen Victoria is a deeply religious woman. But that didn't make her like a stick in the mud necessarily, which I think would have been a really easy way to write that. Instead, they wrote oh, her as they wrote her as a character with like some gradients to her where, you know, she does. She is deeply religious and she does talk about, especially at the end, she talks about you deal with stars and magic like it were something like it was something simple and good, um, you know, very, you know, superstitious of them. But she also herself likes to hit, wanted to hear ghost stories, and because oh, I think she could root ghost stories into truth. It's something that you can tell children. I think is how she phrases it. Of like, you know, it's meant to like scare children, but for for adults, it it's a source of comfort. Yeah. Um. So we've been talking a lot about the things around the wolf. Um, and we also talked a little bit about the design of them, but we know that 2006 CGI is not amazing. I do think they did a pretty he decent job. He looked really good. Yeah. By 2006 standards, I think they did a really good job with him. There were only a couple of times where I was disappointed because I could tell that they were, that the director or the cinematographer, depending on who was making these calls, was deliberately shooting in a way where they didn't have to show the wolf a lot. Mm-hmm. But then I guess they were really proud of how the wolf came out, and so they would cut to the wolf anyway. And it was just very strange to see what was very clearly shot to only have maybe 70% of the wolf scenes they had. Even still, when you consider that by this time in the, like, meta-narrative or not even meta narrative in this time for graphics narratives uh we've already gotten harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban yeah that had two other werewolves in it i genuinely believe that this one holds up it's not as cinematic it is there wasn't a lot of weight especially like there was one scene where the wolf is running down a hall and there was no sort of like retraction reverb like there was no recoil recoil from the wolf landing on the ground Mm -hmm. and like projecting itself forward and so there were just little itty bitty things like that that were not present because it's a television show yeah but this was or for me at least like this is pretty solid render yeah for sure it just isn't as polished but it doesn't really need to be yeah and they make the smart decision of I think exclusively having the wolf in like darker environments, darker environments or heavily contrasted. Cause anytime yeah. you do see him, he's running through shadow and then in very bright moonlight. So you, you might have a, like a frame where he's half shrouded in darkness, half like oversaturated. And yeah, the light is particularly intense. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of moments where the wolf is standing still long enough for you to 
nitpick them. Yeah, to see that the fur is a solid texture. There are not individual <laughs> furs. Yeah. Still looked good. Yeah, I mean, especially when you compare it to some of the CGI stuff Even they when had. you compare, like, the flying ships that we saw in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Like, they looked really crappy. It looked like a video game. Yeah. At least this one, because we also got a transformation sequence. Ooh, God, and the the way it cracks his skull when they're doing it, like, you could see the cheekbones start to protrude before the, like, the muzzle comes out. The quality of it, not great, but concept conceptually yeah it's very cool one of those where it's like it doesn't really matter if it looks incredible like somebody somebody went really hard and tried really hard somebody is very passionate about werewolf transformation sequences and went hold my beer oh wait the they're they're not in america it'd be hold my tea <laughs> And then there's there was a fun little detail where they they're all trapped inside a room and they're so certain the wolf's gonna come after them and the wolf just like doesn't come in the room at first. I was convinced that the wolf was gonna come through a secret passageway or a painting without eyes. <laughs> I'm very glad I was wrong because I feel like crawl spaces are cop outs. Yeah, instead instead it's it was cheap. that. Instead, it was that apparently the wolf uh, either has a legitimate or a psychosomatic allergy to mistletoe, and they lined the varnish in the wood with mistletoe oil. Is that rooted in folklore? Do you know? I have no idea. It certainly feels like it. Just because I mistletoe is oddly specific, particularly for something at at least like. For me, mistletoe has a very high or has a very linked connection to to Christmas time. Uh, just doing some quick search here. It looks like there is uh, there is some belief that or at least part of uh, part of the lore is that mistletoe, I guess, has a relationship to hunting. And so therefore it also translated into werewolf hunting. Hmm. It is a. Uh, it is. It is apparently poisonous to werewolves. Is the, is the association. So it is a. It is justified. It's not just for, not just for kicks. It's a little weird that they would pick mistletoe and not, wolfsbane, considering it's called wolfsbane. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But oh well. I mean that's neither here nor there. It, it's a fun little detail. I think the mistletoe at least has enough around it that even if you don't know that, it still feels like a, just a fun little detail. Uh, I also like that in that in this room, Queen Victoria finally calls out the Tenth Doctor on dropping his accent at some point. Yeah. Which is funny to say dropping his accent when David Tennant was actually having to put his accent back on for the character. It Well, because I think that also served as, like, the thing that tipped the queen over. Or tipped the queen off that the Doctor and Rose are not of this time, not of this world. Yeah. Or at the very least, they can't be trusted, whatever they are. Yeah. Which I love accents giving people away. I think that's a silly trope. Yeah. Well, because it's something that you're, you're that some people will miss and some people will catch. And because of that, I think it's a nice, like, 
are you paying attention sort of detail. Well, especially for her, like it did, it does make you go, oh, the queen is smart. <laughs> yeah. But and speaking of smart, apparently they start reading over the books and the doctor realizes that Prince Albert must have made some intricate plan to stop the wolf. And like the whole place is a trap. And so they have to chase the wolf up to the not telescope on the roof. Because they first, when they first see the telescope, the doctor's like, there's too many prisms in here. You can't see anything. Uh, Come to find out that it's not a telescope. It's almost like a reverse. It's a, it's a light gun, <laughs> I guess. That is light meant to... gun, like reverse flashlight? I suppose, yeah. It's, it's supposed to take the light from the moon and it refracts it through multiple prisms until the light shoots out in a fine beam can then be propelled into the werewolf and overload their light. And so they will detransition from werewolf. But the thing that's supposed to help is Queen Victoria is a big old paperweight. Yeah, she uh, the Koh-i-Noor, which is actually, which is a real diamond and it is part of the crown jewels. Mm, mm, it's a paperweight. <laughs> I had one growing up, same size. It was green. Because glass is naturally green. <laughs> uh, but fun little fact, that diamond, uh, that it is a real diamond. It is part of the crown jewels. In fact, it was part of the crown for Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. Um, so if you look, so if you look up any it's photos big, from that. Though. How? I, I think it's like the centerpiece, like it's at the top of the crown. Okay. So it's even though it's big, it sits in the center so it doesn't shift your weight off balance. So I believe it is normally kept in the Tower of London. So if you are visiting the UK and you really want to see what a werewolf killing diamond looks like, <laughs> see if you can get into the Tower of London. Uh, or wherever Don't forget to bring your moon flashlight with you, though. Yeah, don't forget to bring your moon cannon. Yeah. But then there's a little... Your AK Mooney 7. <laughs> then there's a little moment where the... Queen may have been bitten or nicked by the werewolf in some way that left a little cell inside of her that will grow over the course of her family's generations. I I was following along, but by that point I was getting kind of confused. Yeah, it was it was a there weird was a little lot. detail. I don't entirely know why they went with that, but uh, but the I I shouldn't say I don't know entirely. I think someone thought it would be really funny if hemophilia meant lycanthropy and they worked backwards from there. Mm. Um, because Queen Victoria, as they said at the end of the episode, has had hemophilia. They no one knew where it came from. Her parents didn't have it, but it mutated somewhere in her genes, presumably from the fact that a lot of the royal family had been inbreeding for a while. Well, that's how you get them pure, Zach. <laughs> that's how you get pure hemophilia. Uh, but mm -hmm. apparently hemophilia was a euphemism for lycanthropy and secretly the royal family are werewolves. I buy it. I mean, some of them I buy more than others. What's the what's the one that everybody likes right now? Is it Prince Harry? They're the same to me. <laughs> Straight up, fun fact, I, honest to God, did not know that there was a difference between Harry and Charles until one of them started going bald. <laughs> Yes, it is uh, Prince Harry. Prince Harry has like a has like a, some real red bushy beard territory. He's got kind of a werewolf quality about him. Mm -hmm. um, well, now we know why. Now we know why he's he is he is a werewolf. 
And it's a fun. It is a fun little detail that they start breaking down all the different ways that the royal family being werewolves works. I do think it's still a little silly that they tried to reverse engineer this so hard to be an alien, but it's a cute little detail. Uh, and then Queen Victoria says that she will take over the Torchwood house as the Torchwood Institute to study these extraterrestrial ongoings and prepare itself to be an enemy of the Doctor. Which is a cute idea. She knights the doctor, and then she goes, also, you're banned. Yeah. So, Fucking I, never come back. I crown you, I christen you both knight, doctor, and dame Rose now. Get the fuck out of my sight. Which, I, it's a bit silly, but I do like her doing her, like, doing her queen duties, and then go, basically going, you scared me. Leave forever. <laughs> You've committed the greatest crime in this country, given me a fright. <laughs> yeah. You are hereby banished from these shores. But also, thank you for saving my life. You may now call yourself a sir. Now get out, sir and madame. <laughs> and she, she decides that the Torchwood Institute will prepare itself to be an enemy of the doctor. Which, on the one hand, is a neat little touch considering we just saw Torchwood at the end of the Christmas Invasion. If not for the dozens of years, the Doctor has had some kind of presence in the UK just doing his stuff. Like, the third Doctor was straight without a TARDIS for a while. He couldn't go anywhere. You feel like Torchwood would have, at that point, been like, Hey, Mr. Doctor, we got a problem with you, sir. So, uh, just give me your overall thoughts here. What? Did, how did you feel about, uh... Tooth and Claw. I did feel like this one was a bit more organized. It didn't feel quite so much like let's throw 18 different ideas and yeah. just have them all fight for attention. Not wrong. On the other hand, though, I like I got a little bit bored. Well, I think partly because I'm noticing we're, we haven't talked as much for this episode. I think part of it is that just so much of it is chasing. I mean, it, it really does set a weird tone when within the first two minutes, you do have like a, a who are those two director brothers that the Marvels like? <laughs> oh, Joe and Anthony Russo? Yeah, it does open up with a very Russo fight scene. <laughs> Yeah, because I, 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 so <laughs> I saw the way you, like, physically sat up, like, huh? Yeah, the episode just starts in a very cinematic way, and it makes the rest of the episode feel out of place. Yeah, I could kind of agree with that. Because the rest of it tries to frame itself almost like, not necessarily a horror movie, but it's trying but it's to not, like not a horror movie. Yeah, it's doing some kind of like noir thing a little bit where because well, like when we have Rose and the other women, because they're all women, yeah, like in the cellar, like about to be attacked by the werewolf. That is when the werewolf ghost story, for lack of a better term, is being told upstairs. Yeah, and you have them overlapping with each other. Yeah, which just... is very cool thing to do mm -hmm. but also it it feels 
Like, the ideas do feel more succinct, but the execution feels a little all over the place. Yeah. It's messy. And not in a way that is, like, justified or forgivable. It just kind of feels just meh. Yeah, there's a, there's some good stuff in here, uh, some good moments, a really a really really good portrayal of Queen Victoria, but I just I don't know it. I, like I, I really wanted I really wanted to like this episode. Yeah, I kind of agree. It's and like, I don't even there isn't even anything in it that I can get all heated up and angry about just because my overall attitude towards it is neutral. Yeah, it's, it's so just kind cl- of a, it's so close. That's the part that's frustrating. Like, it, like, if it just, if it was a little less silly at the very beginning, framed itself more as, like, a horror thing overall, it would have had a much stronger presence in the same way that, like, the Unquiet Dead did. Yes. Like, it's so close to that, but it just whiffed it. Because, <laughs> like, I'm I'm thinking now, I'm, go, I'm running through my mind palace and going over all of the elements where you have this like very epic fight scene right out of the gate yeah and then you pivot to rose and the doctor listening to mute having a jukebox session in the tardis <laughs> which is you know it's it's silly yeah it reminds you what show you're watching yeah and then when they you know when they land you have something else that, or you have interactions between the Doctor and Rose and, you know, the world in which they're dropping into. The rest feels pretty standard. The introduction of Rose saying, I bet you I can get the Queen to say, we are not amused. <laughs> like, All right, cool. Like, we're still, we're being silly. We're being funny. And then from that point moving forward, the tone shifts in a way, but it still tries to hold on to the strands that were, that are the show or like the, the vibe, the energy of the show. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's all we've got thoughts for today. I, I, I did just get myself a little excited because I remembered a character that shows up in the next, in the <gasps> next episode that I think you're really going to enjoy. Oh man. I thought you meant it was going to be Captain Jack. Now Captain Jack, uh, Captain Jack's doing his own show right now. While, uh, I miss him. <laughs> uh, so they keep bringing up the Torchwood Institute mm-hmm. because the spinoff show is called Torchwood and okay. its main character is one Captain Jack Harkness. Okay, but I miss him. <laughs> well, he'll be back eventually. Uh, but for now, uh, we will first be going back to school as the next episode is called School Reunion. Oh, no. <laughs> um, school? Yeah. No. <sighs> Well, I didn't finish my homework. <laughs> I'm I'm here taking a test in my underwear. Oh no, I forgot. I'm in the wrong classroom. I straight up though, that is a recurring nightmare for me that I'm <laughs> back at school, but I don't know where my classes are and I'm painfully late to the class that I don't know I, I don't know the location of. Mm-hmm. And so the dream is just me running around opening up every classroom and having them go, excuse me, what are you doing here? I don't know what that means, but I, I'm not excited about back to school. That's <laughs> well, scary. Let's find, well, let's find out if those fears are justified next time on Who Is My Doctor? Who is my doctor? Who 
is indeed. That monster mash sure is a graveyard smash, huh? And you know what else is a smash? You! Smashing that follow button wherever you're listening to this. Nailed it. If you're liking the show, please tell your fellow Whovians to come check it out, or just send us a little message letting us know that you like it. You can follow us on Twitter, Blue Sky Threads, and Instagram at WimdyPod. That's W-I-M-D-P-O-D. Over on Twitter, I just wrapped up a little poll asking you guys which classic doctor I should show Cassie first, and unsurprisingly, the fourth doctor absolutely ran away with that poll. So not after this episode, but after next week's pod, I'll have another poll up to determine which story you think would be a good pick. Even if you don't know Classic Who, I will provide a brief description of the story so you can at least make a semi-informed decision. In the meantime, though, I've got to work on next week's episode. We'll see you next Tuesday, because Tuesdays are now Who's Days. <laughs>